All right, guys, my name is Dr. Shornell Wolverton Sihan. I am so thrilled and absolutely excited to do this episode because we're going to talk about something that may be a little bit different than what we've talked about before and definitely a lot more vulnerable for me personally and my my journey. We're going to talk about breast implant issues. Um, all the issues that come with that, the illness that can come with that, the side effects, of course, all of that, and a little bit about my journey, as well as maybe some of you guys' journey. And maybe you don't even know that this, this is part of your journey, but you're about to find out some things that have really been helpful and amazing for me. I did not want to go public with any of this, to be honest. Um, but my thought was as much as I've been through in the, pa in the past decade or actually two decades with all of these side effects, I thought, you know what, if I get on here and I talk and, and one person doesn't get the surgery and or one person who's already had the surgery hasn't put together that these are issues and this is could be this, the, the root issue for you. Um, I thought if I could just save one person from any of those issues, then uh, it was worth it to me to come public and to talk about it and to definitely get Dr. Fang on because, oh my God, she is the expert of all experts and you will not be sorry. Um, welcome to the show, Dr. Fang. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yes, ma'am. So I'm going to start a little bit here um, by just, first of all, reminding people, go and get, go to drsharnell.com, get on the newsletter. Um, there you're going to see all the podcasts from the past as well as the future. I have great resources there as far as my books, um, my classes, uh, online stuff, personal events, um, conferences, those kind of things, lots of different gadgets and tools for you to get into your alignment and your perfect health holistically. And so def definitely check that out. And um, let's move on to this topic. Dr. Fang, okay. I'm just gonna say that I found her because when I was looking for a good doctor, it was actually pretty difficult to, to be honest. Um, a lot of the doctors that I was looking at gave praise for the fact that they were doing explants but when then I looked personally um, at their website or into what they were doing, and they were actually still putting them in also and getting money to pay, you know, to, to receiving money to still do the implants while at the same time doing explants. And for me, that was a little bit of a conflict. Um, when someone recommended Dr. Fang to me, um, I noticed that she did not do that. She has been only doing explants and I believe over 30 years now. And one of the few, if, if not the only, and she's also testified in Washington in the 90s and I'll let her go into that. Um, but I'm just gonna read her bio because it's pretty extensive and pretty amazing. Um, she is the top notch person um, on, a, on a personal level as well. Her integrity, her bedside manner. I mean, she's just an amazing, beautiful woman. Um, but she is the founder and medical director of her clinic. It's in Ohio, by the way. She's the um, one and only plastic reconstru reconstructive surgeon on staff. Of course, she's board certified. She specializes in cosmetic surgery on the face, body, um, breasts. She's recognized for being one of the first to use um, natural tissue for reconstruction. And she also gained national attention in the 80s. Sorry, I thought it was the 90s because she pioneered the research on breast implant illness um, and some of the things that go along with that, that maybe the FDA wasn't um, giving us the full thing on. Um, she's one of the few surgeons that does all natural breast enhancement um, for regenerative um, stem cells, fat tissue, and also um, I want you to go into a little bit about the difference with your anesthesia too, because I think that's something important to um to point out but please feel free to add or take away i know you went to yale i think at 16 i want to say gary told me i mean you have been in this field and in this space for quite a while but welcome to the show and thank you thank for you. coming to be with us um do you want to add any more to that or take away or make sure i got that right well my interest in uh, breast implant problems really started in the uh, mid 80s when I would swap out the problematic uh, implants with your own tissue using microsurgical technique. 
meaning that I was putting in, instead of a contracted implant, we took the implant and the capsule out and we put in natural tissue from the abdomen or from the buttock area. And I basically devoted my advanced uh, fellowship all on microsurgical uh, reconstruction of the breast. And so majority of that was in post-mastectomy patients. Um, then, as you know, uh, a lot of the consumer groups started to report to the FDA that they have problems with these implants. And the initial complaint was that the silicone in the implants are not confined in the breast, that they actually spread. That one of the uh, things I did was to go to the FDA device conference. This was back in February of 1990. And I met a lot of the consumer groups that were responsible for telling the FDA that these implants are not contained, that they rupture and that they can spread into the liver, into internal organs. I also met a very key person at that time who's a, a biomedical engineer uh, in Canada, uh, Dr. Pierre Blay, who told me that the proper way and this is in 1990, the proper way to remove an implant is you have to take all the capsule out. Mm -hmm. Now, at that time, it was not too hard to do that because most of the implants are above the muscle. So it's very easy to do an end block. Uh, so as a result of these complaints and realizing that the silicone implants were grandfathered in since the 70s, and that the FDA then wanted the manufacturer to do more extensive study and imposed a moratorium in 1992. Now that started a whole slew of lawsuits. It, the plastic surgeons had to stop putting silicone gel implants and they had to put the, uh, the saline implants in. Now the saline implants, you have to put them under the muscle. So, Therefore, the, the removal becoming much more difficult because under the muscle, uh, your implant is sitting on the chest wall and is sitting under the muscle on the chest wall. So the taking out the capsule on the chest wall is trickier. And that took a while for me to really just perfect the technique. And because I had I realized that in order for people to get better, either from saline or silicone for implants under the muscle, you have to take the entire capsule out. And in some of the implants that were put in in the 70s and 80s, where the gel is very loose and very easily, uh, you can get an extra capsular rupture where the where the gel can actually literally go all the way to the back as a result of the rupture. Those patients very hard to get well because th the silicone extravasation is so extensive that it's literally impossible to get it out. So when they change the implant composition uh, to a memory gel in the uh, early 2000 when silicone implants came back on the market because they had a lot of very expensive epidemiological studies that disproved that silicone implant uh, can cause connective tissue disease. So they went back on the market and they used a much more cohesive gel so that with a rupture, it doesn't spread extensively. So then you don't see, now today when we take out implants, we don't, we don't see a lot of extracapsular rupture other than it from a period that's in the 70s and 80s. So um, that's, does that answer your question? I know I diverged quite a bit. No, I mean, that's huge. And I'll just tell you in my experience, um, first of all, the reason why I got them in the first place is similar. Um, I didn't have a mastectomy, but I had several tumors removed and I, I went pretty, they took out a lot of fat and what have you all around everything. And, and so insurance paid for me to get them and they were very like, 
oh yeah, this is totally normal. It's healthy. It's, there's no side effects. You know, they, they really sold me that this would not hurt me. And of course we know better now. And I was only in my twenties at the time. And I, I'm, I wasn't a naturopath either. I hadn't studied any of the holistic things and, you know, the differences between pharmaceutical and all that mess, which I'm not anti-pharmaceuticals, but I'm just, that's kind of my last resort. Um, but I got them in and then had problems. And we'll talk about that too. And then I had them removed in, in mid nineties. And I don't think that was an explant. I mean, a full, um, and I, I really don't know. Um, but then later they replaced them because they said, these are saline and these are so safe and this is better than silicon and there's not going to be any issues. It's just salt water, you know, blah, blah, blah. And of course, again, had more issues, which again, we'll talk about. But when I was looking for a doctor, I went to one here locally and she seemed, you know, normal. And she actually looked a little bit holistic, whatever that looks like. But her idea of helping me, and I don't want to name her and I'm not like judging or anything, you know, people just maybe don't know or whatever, but she wanted to do a local anesthesia, go ahead and pop it, drain it out and let me see if I was happy with that. And if I was uh, with the way it looked cosmetically, then they would later go in and remove it, which I doubt it's a total explant kind of deal like you do. Um, but that would, or if I um, wanted to replace it, then she would go ahead and just replace them. And immediately I said, wait, like drain it into my body. And she's like, yeah, it's not a big deal, blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking, oh my God, you are not my doctor. Um, <laughs> I just literally made it cut short, got up. I was very nice, but I left the room. And um, and then a friend, a friend of mine, Carly Cruz, um, had a friend who, you know, told me about you. And so, but talk about, you know, draining that with like heavy metals, mold, there's all kinds of things that are in that, even with the saline. Can you explain the difference between that and why that would be so harmful just to drain it into your body? Uh, yes, I'd be happy to explain the why that doesn't work for people who have symptoms, who have illnesses. Um, the shell is a big problem. The shell does degenerate over time. Um, but are the focus on breast implant illness did not come until about 2013 in terms of systemic symptoms. And you have to give credit to uh, Nicole Deruda because she's the one that brought attention to everybody through the Facebook group, Healing Breast Implant Illness. She gave the the systemic symptoms associated with breast implant illness, she, she's the one that gave the name breast implant illness, which really upset a lot of my colleagues um, because it seems to have presumed that the breast implant caused the illness, which it does, because what we found out is that when you take out the implant and the capsule, the illness goes away and that is, it is totally reversible. So that ties... So that you basically establish the diagnosis if somebody has all these systemic symptoms associated with having the presence of an implant, that if the symptoms go away and the symptoms go away in a sustainable fashion through years, then what do you think is the diagnosis? It has to be breast implant illness, even though we don't really know what components cause the illness. At this point, we don't know. Partly because there are subclinical infections that can give you all these symptoms. Some people will respond to antibiotics uh, when they have the illness, but then some people don't respond to antibiotics, that there are other causes, other causative factors. Now, if you look at the history of the literature on systemic symptoms associated with breast implants, it really goes all the way back to the first paper published uh, in the Japanese literature in uh, the late 1960s, um, Miyoshi. Uh, he talked about all the systemic symptoms associated with silicone injections. Then if you look at the movie Explant, 
that is streamed uh, on Paramount Plus. That gave a beautiful detailed history of breast implant making. Now, breast implant illness was treated by doctor uh, in by doctor uh, um, in Houston because that's where the implants were invented. In the 70s, they were treating patients with breast implant uh, illness. It's uh, the doctor's name, I just, just came back to me, it's Dr. Bernard Patton, and I have to give credit to his, um, his treating these patients, but he was treating them, some of them with uh, chemotherapy agents in order to stop the inflammation. As you know, when you're on chemotherapy, a lot of the joint pain goes away. So it is true, these patients who got the implants that were invented in 1963 became ill. Some of them became ill in the 70s in Houston. And this Dr. Bernard Patton was already treating it in the 1970s, but they didn't call it breast implant illness then. Then in the 80s, there were some case reports of connective tissue like scleroderma being associated with implants and how patients got better when the implants are removed, the, the symptoms got better. Or patients with diffuse connective tissue disease or lupus or other kind of connective tissue disease. So these, these case reports or case studies, case series became the basis for the FDA's moratorium on breast implant illness in on breast implants in 1992. So, but at that time, really, they were more concerned about the integrity of the implant because it spread throughout the body, and but not really breast implant illness. Then what happened is that, so 2006, breast implants, your plastic surgeons are allowed to put in silicone gel implants. And of course, uh, we didn't see problems until in the 2000, in the teens. That's why Nicole Deruda started the Healing Breast Implant Illness in 2013. And at that time, also two other papers were published, one out of the Netherlands, the other one out of Israel. So they call it different names. The ones from Israel, they call it the Asia syndrome. It's an autoimmune inflammatory syndrome associated with uh, with uh, implants. Um, the ones uh, in Netherlands, they call it uh, silicone, uh, systemic silicone illness uh, associated with, with implants. And they felt that was definitely an entity because these symptoms do not fit the classical rheumatic uh, connective tissue disease. So it is truly an entity and but it really did not catch the FDA attention until Nicole Deruda's group grew mm -hmm. from 5,000 to 100,000 in a short period of time with people posting how, what their symptoms are and how it affected their lives and what happened when they explanted. So there's no question that just from explant, taking out the implants have improved some people's symptoms, but a lot of them, the best improvement is gonna come from total capsulectomy. And the reason I know that is because I have a whole group of patients that then they come from not just the United States, but throughout the world. They had already had their implants removed, but they came to, came to me because the capsules are not removed and they still remain sick. So uh, in order to fully recover from breast implant illness, you have to take out the whole capsule. Yes, and, and dumping whatever is inside in your body, um, not, not, a, not no bueno also, just because that's been sitting in the silicon or the, the, the capsule itself. Um, we've seen mold, heavy metals, um, you know, all kinds of things. And you you told me how many toxins were found just encased when you got pathology back. What was, uh, remind me the number? Well, um, 
in the Facebook group, they talk about 38 different toxins. Now, when we do pathology or when my pathologists do these studies, they don't test for toxins. They just look at the cells. Oh, so okay. there's variability in terms of how many cells they see, what type of cells they see. So some people have, when we submit the, the total capsule, they may not see any inflammation. And some, they see a lot. Mm -hmm. And they see silicone next to the inflammatory cells. So it really depends on at what point you catch the capsule. So if you can't, if you caught the capsule, uh, when the implant is ruptured, you're going to see macrophages, lymphocytes, you're going to see silicone droplets in the capsule. Now, if you catch a uh, saline implant that is intact, uh, you may or may not see inflammation. But, you know, this is not a, remember, these pathology studies are not toxin studies of the implants. We still okay. have to do that kind of a study, but it's not there. Now, the reason we know about the 38 toxins is uh, through the subpoena process in the 1990s with the Dow Corning, uh, that giant settlement of about one over $1 billion uh, that Dow Corning made to the implant recipients. That, because of this, a massive lawsuit, they had to, they were subpoenaed, they, they had to reveal what, what uh, chemicals were used in the making of the implants. And that's how they came up with the different toxins, many of which are neurotoxins. And as you know, brain fog uh, is a huge problem uh, in, in breast implant illness. Yes. Yes, um, brain fog, um, arthritis, autoimmune, um, endocrine system type stuff, you know, thyroid, adrenals, um, hair loss, um, skin issues, um, hormonal issues. What else are you seeing when? Well, I would say this, how one exhibit the symptoms is very much tied in with the genetic susceptibility. So some people, uh, you're going to see more autoimmune-like presentation. Some people, you're going to see more chronic fatigue presentation. Some, you're going to see more pain, chronic pain presentation. And some, you will see more food sensitivity, microbiome problems, because their inflammation is in the gut. Um, so it's we all have different vulnerabilities. And when we have an inflammatory trigger, uh, such as the, your, your body's reaction to implant, you're, you're going to see differences in how you present these this illness. So I, I see the variability in their genetics. And the reason we saw that is because we have tested um, their genetics in terms of of their inflammatory panels, their methylation panels. There are a yes. lot of people That's who don't methylate bring up. well. MTHFR. Mm -hmm. Right. They don't methylate well. Well, it's very important to have the ability to produce methyl donors because a lot of one carbon metabolism in the body requires the presence of methyl donors. For example, in the brain, to turn off anxiety and depression, to turn off those neurotransmitters and have the happy neurotransmitters, yeah, you need a one carbon transfer. So that's gonna have to come from your vitamin B vitamin metabolism, your folate metabolism. Now, for example, if you wanna turn off a histamine reaction, that also requires a methyl group. If you wanna turn off some of the more harmful estrogen metabolism, you have to turn, you have to be able to you will need these methyl groups. And to provide energy in the cells to get rid of fatigue, you also need these methyl groups. Now, what happens when you have an implant in your body? And what happens when your body decides to react to this implant? Well, your body is going to prioritize where it's going to 
where is it going to need these methyl groups? Though the methyl, so if you have a deficient methylation, your methylation is going to be deprived because the immune cells around the implants are going to use up your methyl groups because they need energy to fight, to fight this foreign body. So that is why methylation is pretty key. If you have a, already a deficient methylation due to your either your MTHFR, your DHFR, or your FOLR1 and 2 enzymes, your MTHFS, any of those SNPs is going gonna, is gonna to tell you you're going to have more deficient and methylate more deficiency in methylation and how your body handles inflammation like viruses, bacterial infections, foreign body reactions, they are going, you're going to have more symptoms associated with that. So that's the methylation piece in terms of genetics. But there are people who just respond to triggers with greater inflammation and and not able to turn off their inflammation, or they may have problems in their detoxification pathway, which is also tied in with methylation. Right. So these are as, you know, as a natural path, I'm sure you, you see these problems and these problems can be treated very simply by, by bypassing some of these pathways and give the patient these methyl, methylfolate and methyl B12 so that they have more uh, ability to generate methyl donors. Yes, and and definitely you you are very thorough in that um, and going back medical history and what have you. Matter of fact, uh, well, I'll say it depend with the MTHFR. It depends on um, you know, do you have a copy? Do you have double copy? You know, which copies do you have? And then you know, with the glutathione, and you went through that thoroughly. You showed charts. You know, I've had that explain to me and I teach that. And so I was like, okay, you, you get this, this is so that it made me feel very comfortable that you understood all that because, you know, that's a big deal um, with, with side effects. And most people don't even know if they are MTHFR. I think it's a little bit more um, talked about. Um, it, the testing used to be way more expensive and insurance didn't cover it, but I think some insurances are picking that up again. Um, but a lot of people just don't even know. And that could be a reason why they're having a lot of problems, even if they don't have an implant, you know? So um, I was really glad that you brought all of that up and, and helped me get um, a solution and a plan in place to kind of um, navigate through that. Um, and then to just the process of after the explant of, you know, detoxing the body and, you know, hyperbaric chamber, you know, um, sweat, infrared sauna, you know, supplements, different things, you know, a lot of hydration, lots of good antioxidants. I mean, you are a big proponent of the holistic thing. And another reason why I was so, so just drawn to you and your clinic was because you have hyperbaric chamber right there on on the premises and that's part of the package you put us you put people in like right away after surgery you have raw food you have the most amazing um cafeteria there with great soups and raw salads and um your own um, product line for food you also have skincare. you have um, massage and what have you um a whole young living um opportunity for things um, to people to use essential oils and want to have you to help support them and different supplements um amazing mushroom coffee i mean you you have it all um explain why in your um in your experience why those components are just as important not just pre-surgery but after surgery and a part of a, a practice of what have you because i know you guys even have a gym and you guys work out together every week and and all of that i just love how you guys work together as a staff but explain the importance of all of that well thank you for pointing that out so our food line is Fangfit foods and the reason for doing that initially was really to feed ourselves and feed our staff, feed our patients with healthy food based on all the research that has been done. So our emphasis is on plant-based. It's a plant-based diet. Not that it's the right diet for everyone, but if you incorporate the majority of your diet 
that is plant-based with a variety of plants, you're gonna get the benefit that nature provides. The, the anti-inflammatory, the uh, a lot of the B vitamins that are that you need, you know, to fight infection are, are in the plant-based food. And as you know, they uh, are they are responsible for prevention of cancer through the China study, prevention of heart disease through Esselstyn studies, and many others uh, who who probably, I would say that plant-based diet is the most studied of all the diets compared to Mediterranean paleo in terms of how it affects disease presentation at a later time. So I wanted this to be part of our clinic because I know that when you eat these things, your skin looks better, you don't have constipation problems, you feel better, you have better energy. And I also believe that once you take the implants away in order to sustain the improvement, you have to get rid of all the dietary triggers that make people sick. Mm. So, and the reason we have, that's the reason why we have food because food is universal. Everybody needs to eat. But when you have so little time to eat, and hopefully someday we'll have thing fit fast foods so that people can drive through, grab a salad or grab a wrap and be, uh, be, be nourished to the best possible uh, health. Um, so that, that, is, uh, that is in the plan. And we hope someday we can offer uh, the world uh, fast foods that's made out of the healthiest ingredients. Well, your food is the best. And even if you don't need surgery and you live in Ohio, if you're anywhere near the clinic, go get the food. I'm telling you, you can order it. You can go buy and get it. Um, soups, salads, they even have snacks. Um, you know, you created all of this. You have your own signature everything. And your signature salad was my absolute favorite. And just talking about it, my mouth is watering. I was like, uh. <laughs> I called you a couple times to get Linda on the phone and the voicemail says like, you know, press this for that and press that. And when it said, I think press five for, uh, to get to the cafeteria or whatever. And like, every time my, my mouth starts watering, just hearing that on the phone. Cause I'm like picturing myself eating the food, but it was awesome. Um, explain hyperbaric chamber because I have my own. I love mine. We have it in our clinic. Um, but why is that so important as far as the, the support to someone having surgery? Uh, hyperbaric chamber. So normally we breathe the air. It has about 21% of oxygen. In hyperbaric chamber, your oxygenation percentage goes to over 90%. And normally we're at one atmospheric pressure. And of course, if you're in Colorado, you're less than one atmospheric pressure. But in the chamber, you're the mild hyperbaric, which we have, it, which we have is 1.5 atmospheric. So you're getting higher pressure going into your lungs, going into your systemic blood with a higher oxygen. Now, why is oxygen so important? Well, if your cells have oxygen, it goes through aerobic metabolism. So it's gonna produce more ATP. And why is ATP so necessary? That's your energy currency. That might as well be the cryptocurrency of your body. And you, when you have that, you can heal because in any healing process requires energy. Surgery, having surgery, healing from surgery requires extra energy. That's why we wanna provide that, provide the cells the ability to heal through hyperbaric oxygen chamber. We also have another uh, device. Remember the red light laser? Yes. Oh yes. Okay. Thank you for bringing that up. Thank you. Yes. The right red light laser is very important. It has four wavelengths. It's all red, but the wavelengths increases blood flow. 
it also stimulates one of the enzymes in the mitochondrial chain. The mitochondrial chain is the chain of enzymes inside the cell that produces energy. So it stimulates a cytochrome C oxidase enzyme. So that will lead to potentially greater uh, ATP production at the cellular level. So the light that we have, the lasers from Sumas laser, it will penetrate three inches down from the surface. So it's going to get all the surrounding tissue, more blood flow, more energy in the cells to heal. So that's why that laser also works for constipation, believe it or not, or neuropathy. So we utilize that healing tool all the time. But most importantly, we utilize it for the healing of the, of the incisions. There's a protocol for the, for the healing of actual incisions. Now, if sometimes there may be tissue that doesn't have enough blood flow, this laser is great because it will, it will totally reverse the effects of poor blood supply. So it's pretty magical. Yeah, it was magical for me in more ways than one, because one of the things that I wanted to make sure and and, and thank you for, and also to share with um, my audience, um, I've been in, seen multiple doctors before I've seen you um, regarding some pelvic pain or reproductive area pain, and um, which is total side note from, from this, but I had CT scans, MRIs, ultrasounds, like all of it. And everyone kept saying, you're fine. And that I was having so much pain to stand, to walk, uh, to do any kind of core, anything. And no one, everyone just kept saying, we can't find anything. You look good. Everything's great. And started kind of feel crazy. Um, after two years solid of searching. I go into you, you're so thorough. We, I think we spent three hours pre-op, just you really digging in and asking questions, which is absolutely not normal, but I love that so much. I love that you were so uh, emphatic to, to really find out about me, to make sure you knew what was going on before you cut me open. Um, but I explained some of the things and immediately you were like, you care if I do a quick, um, it, you know, test or, you know, look at you real quick. And immediately you were like, I think you have a hernia. And which is what I kept telling everybody. I kept saying, I'm pretty sure this is hernia and um, got me into um, Dr. Grisham's office, which is amazing guy. And he was able to confirm that I not only had a hernia, but I had multiple hernias coming through the incision where my C-section was that no one seemed to be able to find on, you know, so far with four different doctors and multiple different tests. And so we're getting a game plan for that, but you use the laser, not only um, with, with this, but with the reproductive area and, and the incision. And I've been able to walk and just, just with just two or three um, laser treatments um, that, that solved so much for me. And now I'm not hundred percent and I still need to have surgery um, but that was, I just owe you so much for being the one who could figure this out and actually hear me, you know, not make me feel crazy and guide me to someone who could tell me like, this is the, this is the cause. It just made me feel better knowing, you know, the doctor and me, I want to know the cause, like, let's get to the root. Let's find the answers instead of all this chasing my tail for two years, you know, kind of thing. So thank you for that. Um, oh. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity because I think it's very important to take every complaint seriously and not dismiss it. I think that's that's very important, even though if you may not know the answer, but try to develop a plan that really get to the answer. Yes, yes. Uh, explain a little bit about the difference between anesthesia and the way you do it, because I think that's something really important people need to understand as well. Yes, uh, thank you for your question. Uh, I would say that the anesthesia, a lot of people are afraid of anesthesia, uh, mainly because of how it could have affected a person. Oh, am I gonna wake up from anesthesia? Am I gonna get nauseated? Am I going to get, uh, you know, this and that, lose hair, etc. So uh, some of the older anesthesia, uh, the gases can produce more nausea and, and much slower 
washout time, meaning that they accumulate in the in the body in the fat stores and take a little bit longer to get out of your body. So you, so what I wanted to do is to choose the agents that can get rid that your body can get rid of quickly. Um, so that's when I came upon the total IV anesthesia. So we don't use any gas. We use uh, propofol, which uh, most people think it's a euphoric agent. Uh, Michael Jackson liked it. And <laughs> it, uh, it produces uh, wonderful sleep, wonderful dreams, anti-nausea. It's also anti-inflammatory, but it goes away very quickly. Uh, and we use a BIS monitor, which uh, measures your, your EEG waves in your brain. So that, so that flow, the anesthesia drugs can be uh, carefully titrated. We also use remifentanil, which is a narcotic. Uh, now, the narcotic, this remifentanil has the shortest half-life. Uh, when you stop giving it, it goes away in six minutes. But then that also necessitates a good nerve block, which is what I do. Uh, I can block everything in the front, meaning any breast and abdominal plasty procedures or liposuction procedures or fat uh, injections, uh, or even just a tram free flap injection, a tram flea flap uh, uh, procedure for microsurgical breast reconstruction, they all can be blocked in the front because the sensory and the motor nerve splits at the side of the body. So you can actually block these peripheral nerves. Why is that important? Well, people don't wanna wake up in pain because pain causes additional inflammation. So if you can block that pain in the beginning, they will heal better. So say, yes, you have anesthesia that goes away quickly, but you, but surgery produces pain. You have to have a very good regional block afterwards so that this, so less pain, less, less, uh, over, less um, uh, brain fog uh, results as a result of anesthesia. And so most people, when they have this more organic anesthesia, feel that uh, it's not that big a deal that the recovery is not too bad. Isn't that, did you feel that way? Yeah, it was, it, was, it was quite interesting. I didn't know what to expect. And I, I am one of the people who's had really terrible um, side effects with anesthesia in the past. Um, but um, it, I woke up, I, I had some shoulder stuff, but that was um, taken care of pretty quickly. And um, what I found was really interesting as well is when I did wake up, you know, in the past when I've had surgery, they're giving me Jello, they're giving me uh, Kool-Aid, they're giving me mashed potatoes and toast or whatever, crackers, you know, the first thing that you guys did when you came in is a fresh bowl of amazing berries and a smoothie. And again, just hit me with the high antioxidants to just get, get my body um, consuming something that's going to support me right away instead of take away. Um, and then also um, Arnica Montana. I had never heard of that. I didn't know anything about it, even as a naturopath. And I'm like, that was amazing. That was just amazing. So supportive and, you know, no side effects. And explain a little bit about those two things too. You put your two cents in there. Yes. So Arnica actually is, is homeopathic, but it actually has been studied in the plastic surgery literature. And so that actually can decrease pain. It can decrease bruising and decrease swelling. So, um, and of course, you know, it's variable response uh, from in different patients. Some people can actually use that uh, for pain control and other people use that for uh, re resolution of any bruising or swelling. So, and it's really not, it doesn't have a lot of side effects, a very, very excellent few side effect uh, profiles. So that is the reason why we use that. We, you know, because of the opioid crisis in our country, 
Yeah. It's very important to use non-opioids for pain control. Yeah. So we use ice, we use that K-laser, we use more uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, uh, we use more Tylenol. So these are all very good alternatives. And so we actually use very little fentanyl uh, in our in our facility, even though fentanyl is very cheap and extremely effective. But it's not uh, you 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 know it's very it's it's still an opioid with its uh, potential side effects. Yes, and uh, especially on constipation, because it's so important that we in the aftermath of breast implant illness we open up the floodgates of exit of all the toxins. We have to have to be able to sweat. We have to be able to have regular bowel movements and we have to be able to urinate. So these are all the exit routes for, for detoxification. And that's, that is the reason why we also are very, very careful about who we give the narcotics to. And we also want an anesthesia technique that doesn't accumulate in the body. Absolutely. Yes. And for if you guys um, have Netflix, go and watch this new thing, that a uh, new show that just came out, Painkillers. It talks a lot about this, that whole industry and what it looks like. I know with my second um, C-section that I had, um, they did a an epidural and they missed and they got me on some narcotics and I mean I was addicted it was terrible it I mean I that was a very very terrible time of my life but thank god I got through it and out of it with the help of some other things but um yeah that it's nothing to play with so that that did worry me a little bit I don't want to do anything you know, with pain medicine at all. Um, so that Arnica helped. And then this, the block, oh my gosh, that was, that was, a that was amazing. Um, so yeah, definitely. Well, what would you say? Because I know for me, again, the reason why I wanted to do this is because I had not connected the dots about some of the things that I was going through health wise, um, to the breast, implants at all like it just wasn't connecting for me until my husband actually um sent me an instagram of um christina i choose to remember her last name she's on hgtv kind of like fixes up houses and stuff and she was in for like mold and um autoimmune stuff and she had said that she thought that the culprit in her case was uh, her breast implants and I was like, what? And then I like started looking at everything. And then I saw Danica, the car driver, um, she had come out. And I mean, that kind of just like started the ball rolling. We're seeing a lot of uh, like Playboy bunnies and <laughs> different people who have all, you know, had this journey. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this could be the thing. You know, this could be what's going on with me. And, you know, maybe some of you are watching and you're in those situations and you have not connected those dots, or maybe you are in a situation like I've had two patients just this month who wanted to do X, Y, and Z, and then somehow slipped in, oh, but I'm going to be getting implants on so-and-so date, so I won't be able to see you or whatever. And I'm immediately like, you know, don't do it, you know, and I want to like tell my story and, you know, help people. But what, what, what would you say to people who are thinking about getting implants and or already have them that don't really know um, that this could be a problem and it could be a reason why they're having problems? Yeah, I, you know, totally recognize um, the woman's desire to have, some women's desire to have a larger breast. Um, that it's a very powerful motivating force. And that is why people go to breast implants. I would say this, there are other ways to improve your breast. And probably the best way is using your own tissue, uh, your own fat, lifting the breast. These are all very good uh, alternatives because they have no future liability. The problem is that we don't, at this point, we don't know who's gonna get sick 
from implants. And that diagnosis is pretty hard to make because it the symptoms are nonspecific and it shares many common symptoms with other diseases, such mm. as hypothyroidism, such as Lyme disease, such as mold toxin illness, such as an undifferentiated connective tissue disease. So it's hard to, it's really hard to, to diagnose this. And, and the proper way to approach this, if somebody has these illnesses, is to make sure all the other illnesses are ruled out or taken care of. Um, and then if there is still no solution, then maybe you should take out your implants and see if you get better. So it is a diagnosis, breast implant illness is a diagnosis by exclusion, by exclusion of other uh, diagnosis. Um, and some of these diagnoses are, are harder, are harder to, to make because we do have patients, very few patients, most patients improve. But if, for example, they have another diagnosis that hasn't been uncovered, they will not get better. And you have to go back to the drawing board and see if you have these other diagnoses. And it's only when the true cause is, is taken care of could you be able to reach your own health potential. Absolutely. And I know um, the first time I had mine out is because I was having a shoulder issue, which I think it had sort of like shifted or moved or got stuck in my armpit or it was very painful. Um, I know, and you know, that I've expressed issues with both of my shoulders this time, especially this one, and thought that could be the culprit. Didn't see a lot of shit. Well, I actually have had a lot more mobility since then. But when I just went to my physical therapist, thank you very much for giving me that prescription. She actually told me she still thinks it has to do with the implants because she said she's seen multiple people with implants that had they were causing um, hormone issues and they, and in her study, she's seeing that hormones are the cause of frozen shoulders, um, which is, I don't know if you've looked into that, but I thought that was kind of interesting. She's still saying, let's detox you. Let's get your hormones straight. We'll do all the physical therapy because of the atrophy, but she still thinks that that, that was the reason, um, which is kind of interesting. So thought I'd well, look I do think that shoulder problems uh, is uh, potentially, I agree with all of that, all of the potential causes. Um, a lot of people don't have injuries and they end up with shoulder problems. Um, if, you, if you look at where the implant sits, okay? So it sits underneath the pectoralis major muscle, which goes through the shoulder. Mm -hmm. It sits on the pec minor muscles, which goes to the shoulder. And it sits on the serratus anterior muscle, which goes to your back. So all of these muscles are affected by the implants. And some of the capsules actually go up very high into near the shoulder. So you have a scar tissue that's dragging on all those structures close to the shoulder. So no wonder um, you, you may have a, over time, uh, no wonder you may have a chronic shoulder problem. And also when the breast is heavy, guess what happens to the shoulder position? You round out. So you may form scar tissue in more of a rounded out lordosis position. So it's very important uh, to prevent the shoulder problems that you have more stretching exercises, you know, so uh, so that you can prevent the scarring process as a result of abnormal posture. And of course, you know, as we age, we tend to do this as well. So that's why, you know, exercise is so important and exercise and strength training. That's why we have a gym because we want all these muscles to function normally and be stretched out so we can prevent falls and prevent injuries, chronic injuries. But there is a definite effect when you put the implant under the muscle and you cut that muscle on the bottom. 
that muscle on the bottom is no longer functioning and it creates a big imbalance in the shoulder area. And there are certain exercises you definitely cannot do when you have implants under the muscle. You cannot do a pull-up. You cannot climb a rope because you, you actually literally disconnect your shoulder muscles to your core. So that is another reason why when I take out the implants, uh, if the implant is under the muscle, I repair that connection. And that's what the muscle repair does. You, you, you reconnect the pectoralis major muscle, which is a major part of your anterior shoulder strength to your core so that you can do your uh, chaturanga, you can do your push-ups, you can do your pull-ups uh, with the right kind of muscle anatomy. And so, yes, the shoulder is, is a huge problem. Shoulder, neck, and back is a huge problem uh, in uh, chronic uh, breast implant illness. Would you say that most doctors don't um, restore the muscle? Are, are you one of the few that do that? Or is that a normal practice where people do surgery to fix that? It's not a normal practice. Um, they, they don't really think about the functional consequences when you cut that muscle to put the implant under the muscle. There's a study on uh, decreased strength in the upper extremity in mastectomy patients who had implants put under the muscle. Um, we, we need to do a study that shows restoration of your upper extremity strength when the muscle is repaired. Now I do, because I have been doing muscle repair for um, probably close to a thousand cases at this point, I do see there is variability in terms of muscle quality. Some muscles are actually very atrophic and very weak and very thin. And some muscles are great for repair because it has very good volume. Um, and some, you know, people who are older and they've also undergone muscle atrophy those muscles may or may not be repaired. But I would say 95% of my cases, I can repair it. And of course, if you had multiple surgeries where you had contracture and the contracture caused more muscle fibrosis, those muscles are very hard to move and they're kind of in a stuck position. So yes, so there are constant, functional consequences when you put the implant under the muscle. And I don't think my colleagues paid enough attention to, to that functional dysfunction when they put the implants in. But uh, I always wanted to do the muscle repair, not just for the functional uh, restoration, but also aesthetic restoration. Many times the inframammary fold is disrupted by the implants, because that area between the nipple and the inframammary fold is stretched significantly by the implant. And you have a, a higher original breast inframammary fold and a lowered implant fold. The only way you can restore that fold to the original fold is doing the muscle repair. And do when you do the muscle repair, you, you literally bring the lower part of the breast closer to the upper part. It's like when you have implants in, it's like the accordion being stretched. Mm. When you repair the muscle, it's like getting the accordion to come together. So you actually could give the breast a little bit more volume. So it's for aesthetic reasons that I repair the muscle, but for the future functional reasons, I also repair the muscle. Well, I absolutely love your attention to all the things um, because those are all amazing things that um, most people in my experience of doing this um, aren't doing what you're doing. And I, I know you probably don't want to brag on yourself, but I'm going to brag on you because you are amazing. And I have shared so many people about my experience and I will continue to share about my experience. I know that you're super, super busy 
and you stay pretty, pretty booked and it's kind of hard to get in with you, but it's so worth it. If anyone can get in and wait, um, you don't want to, I know people who did not wait, went somewhere else and are now coming back to you to get it done right because what they got somewhere else, um, they did not repair the muscle or they left part of the explant in um, or part of the implant in and didn't get the whole thing or just all these other complications. And you can see that in all the Facebook groups, there's people just, you know, they got what they thought they were getting and it wasn't good enough. And now they're having to go back and do it all over again. And so for me, I wanted to get it done right with the right people the first time and not have to do this again, <laughs> you know? Um, and I'm mm -hmm. sure you, you do get a lot of repeat people uh, who've come from other places that, that it's been screwed up. Right. Yes. And I, I, I think that's very unfortunate. Um, and I, I feel absolutely bad about it. Um, but you know, as physicians, we all want to do the right thing for patient, for our patients. And I think that uh, most physicians, even though they try, most plastic surgeons, even though they try to do the right thing, they really have to know what is the right way and what is the what is what is the technique of taking the capsule off the chest wall? What is the technique of repairing the muscle? So um, I'm very happy to teach anybody who wants to learn how to do this. It's very it's actually very simple. Uh, just follow some of these principles and you can get it done. Um, so I, I feel bad that patients have to go have another surgery because they still have symptoms and or that they look more deformed because the muscle is not repaired correctly um, and the breast is not repositioned correctly. So these are all issues that um, not only that's something that I would continue to improve on my own technique, but I hope that other plastic surgeons can can learn from their mistakes and do do the right thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I know you have lots of things to do today and I appreciate your time. Um, tell us um, where can people find you? I know you have a website. Um, she is in Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, but any final words and just verbally say where you are. I'm going to put your bio. I'm going to put clickable links, but just for people who are listening and don't see the clicks or don't watch um, verbally, I like to have people just say how people can find you. We we are in Pepper Pike, one of the most beautiful areas in Ohio. It is. It is very, very beautiful. So, yes, everyone is welcome. We will welcome you with open arms and we'll give you the best food possible. Yes, 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 yes. And um, your website is fangclinic.com. Um, and there you can find, you know, all the information about her and how to get in contact with whoever to set up an appointment or a consultation. Um, and if you're not wanting to get surgery and you're in the area, again, I really cannot stress enough, go by and get a salad, go by to the cafeteria and, um, check those things out and, um, you will not, not be sorry. Uh, trust me next time I I'm thinking about even coming up just to get a few salads and go home. <laughs> it is amazing. So your whole idea of having a drive-through, um, I would love to see if, if that could happen like in every city in the United States to have your food line there. That would be amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much for uh, spreading the word and thank you so much for this opportunity to speak to the world. And I really appreciate your efforts. Yes, ma'am. Love you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. And guys, check out her website, check out her information. And you know what? If you don't have an issue and you're not having any of these symptoms, I guarantee you know someone who does. So please do your due diligence and share this with friends. Um, let get the word out. Again, I wouldn't have even known about it except for a friend told me and or my husband is the one who found something on Instagram and was like, look into this. So be the friend. If you know someone going through some weird symptoms and maybe they have had implants, um, please pass this um, podcast on and let people know uh, this. These are some valid 
um, things that are going on that maybe connect some dots for them and get them some solutions so we can get back into alignment and have you know the health that we're supposed to have, the vitality that we're supposed to have. All of us are here for a reason. And it's a lot more difficult to do your purpose here on earth if you're not feeling well. Um, it takes so much energy um, to, to, to feel well and do the things if you have all of these things coming up against you. And, you know, you are very unique and special, whoever you are watching this. And you can, you're the only one who can do you. So we need you to be healthy and to be your best <laughs> and in your highest. So yes. come check this out. You guys share this. And yes. Dr. Fang, you are amazing. Thank you for your time and for everything you're doing for the planet and just love you so much. I hope you have a beautiful day. Thank you. So how can we get a copy? I will send you a copy. This. Yes, ma'am. Okay, I will send you a copy and you can do whatever and um, you enjoy your day. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.